beginning. We're going to try to get through uh, two or three verses tonight, and uh, we'll see how how far we get. Um, uh, we're not not going to be in a hurry. Do not want to rush through this thing. Uh, on the other hand, I don't want us to get uh, drugged down in tedium either. We want to make sure that uh, we get the meaning of the word, and, and honestly. We could spend the whole night on the first word of the book, amen, God. Uh, I mean, if you can't preach a sermon on that, then there's no reason to be around. But we're not going to do that tonight because that's not the goal of the book of Hebrews. We want to put it in its context. And, and what is going on here is God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, if we get through all that tonight, if anybody needs an outline, uh, wave your hand there, Brother Franz. I'll bring you one up. Okay. Have some up here. And uh, where, where we're going with this is God is the one who is doing the speaking. And we understand this in the Bible as we start at the beginning of the Bible we we always will see God looking for man uh, I can't tell you how many people over the years said well I've been looking for God for a long time and I finally found him um, that's not entirely true uh, yes we we do look for God to a degree but what would we know about God if God did not reveal himself to us? What could we perceive about God? Now, of course, read, read the book of Romans, chapter 1. You could know that there is a God. In fact, any truly honest person, and again, the, the problem with Evolution is not science, it's honesty. That's what the problem with evolution is. Uh, it's, it's honesty, it's integrity, it's, it's just being reasonable. Evolution is a mathematical impossibility, nothing else. Um, there, but we sit here and God reveals himself to us. And there's a goal to God revealing himself to us as his creation. The goal is that nasty little word, obedience. That's the goal. You want harmony with God. We have all, I call them tree huggers. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, they're, they're afraid that, uh, you know, if, 
if they take one too many paper bags at the grocery store, they're going to be killing trees. Um, hate to tell them, but when they make paper, they use dead trees. They don't use living ones. Uh, the paper mills go out into the, into the woods, and most of what they do is they find rotten, dead timber, the stuff that's fallen down and been rotten for several years, and that's, that's what they make the paper with. I mean, my family comes from Pennsylvania. There's paper mills there, and, and uh, they use other trees as well. It's not all rotten wood, but if, if they could get it, because that's half their work done. They've got to mash it up and boil it into pulp and make paper. You know... People think that this world is so fragile that if they don't take care of it, it's going to fall apart. Now, let me tell you, it's not going to fall apart. There's a God that created this place, amen? And this God wants to speak to us, and He wants us to have a relationship with Him he wants us to be obedient to Him. And, and we look at this thing, this book called the Bible, and, and again, Hebrews is going to give us the big picture of the entire Bible. It, it starts out here, it says, Who at sundry times? Now, how many of you are familiar with the word sundry? How many of you ever been to a sundry's shop? And the reason they call it sundries is because it was the sundry shop was the forerunner of the five and ten. They got a little bit of something over here, and a little bit of something else over here, and a little bit of something else over here, and a little bit of this over here, and maybe a whole lot of something else out back. It, it's a bunch of different separated little things. Now, the Bible tells us that God at sundry times at different times completely separated from each other god revealed himself to us now brother franz is going to recognize that terminology and that kind of wording we call it dispensationalism amen uh we've gone through that in thursday nights if, if how many were here when we went through dispensationalism, we put the chart and the pictures and the stair steps. Some of you remember that now. And, and we showed how God gave us little bits of information and then He built on that bit of information and built on that bit of information and built on that until we have all of God's revelation that He is going to give us except for one part. And we can't have that until the millennial kingdom. That is when God lives with us in harmony on this planet. We, we will see that one day. The Bible tells us that. But God did not tell Adam and Eve all of the prophecies about the Jewish people. Because there were no Jews when Adam and Eve were living. They didn't come along until, actually, it was Jacob. In Isaac shall thy seed be called. It was Isaac's son Jacob, who was the father of the twelve of the men who headed up the twelve tribes and the, and the tribe of Levi. 
those were the uh, children of Israel, God did not explain all the prophecies of the land of Canaan because things were really different geographically in Adam's day than they were in Abraham's day. You know what? God didn't tell Adam about the flood. He didn't know anything about it. And by the way, the only thing Abraham knew about building Noah's Ark was what's in the Bible. Abraham didn't have it written down, maybe, uh, more than likely. I mean, Moses is the one that recorded what we have. And that was several hundred years, about 500 years after the time of Abraham. But all, all that Abraham knew about the ark was that God told Noah how to build it and that it worked. Now, you and I can hold in our hands the sum total of God's revelation to mankind. Now, this is really, really important uh, to get a hold of because you can't turn on the television today until you have some jokester calling himself a preacher slapping himself in the head saying, somebody out there has got a headache. God is telling me. You, know, you ever seen those guys on television? I mean, what a joke. They claim that they're getting revelation from God. That's not the way God's revelation works. God never gives revelation that enhances and makes people be attracted to the person receiving the revelation. That's what happens when the... Uh, oh, all I want to say is witch doctor, but that's not it. The, the ladies with the crystal ball. Uh, fortune tellers, there we go. Eh, not too far from witch doctor. I mean, all the same thing. You know, whenever they get it right, what's everybody do? Ooh. How many of you remember Jean Dixon? That name mean anything to some of you? The witch. She forecast the Chicago earthquake. Wow. You know, somebody went through, and I, I don't have the paper in front of me, but... Uh, they said she was right about 17% of the time. And then for every 100 prophecies, 83 of them were lies. 17 of them were true. Now, if, if we could somehow go through her prophecies, and we're not going to take the time to study Jean Dixon, amen. Anybody who can be wrong 83% of the time isn't worth paying attention to. But I imagine if we went through that 17%, we could find out a whole lot of them... Uh, were things that really could have been lucky guesses, amen? I mean, the only thing I know that she really had a claim to fame was was the assassination of John F. Kennedy. Uh, but, you know, demons have that kind of information, don't they? They don't mind passing it around to get one of their own glorified. That's why you got to stay away from all this stuff. And that's why these preachers and, and, and quote-unquote evangelists, whatever they want to call themselves on the television, when they do these things, what are they in essence doing? They are drawing attention to themselves. If they're drawing attention to themselves, 
I'll tell you something, you can write it down, it is not from God. God's revelation is for one purpose, and that's to draw us closer to God. We've got to be careful. I mean, if you could walk in a room and somebody could tell your name and your social security number without ever having met you, and say, boy, that's pretty scary stuff, isn't it? If, if somebody could tell you things that nobody else knows, but again, what does that do? That draws attention to the person, not to God. What did God say about His Word in the book of Psalms? He says, Thy Word have I exalted above my name. God is interested in the revelation. He is, wants us to be interested in Him as the source of that revelation. He does not want us to be caught up with the people. God uses people. Over 40 men, most of them unrelated to each other, are responsible for these books. Many of them could never have met each other because they did not even live in the same time period. Uh, the, the narratives that are in the book of Chronicles and Kings, every once in a while you'll see this phrase, as it is unto this day. And uh, so you read that and you say, wow, this was somebody that was recording events that have happened years and years before their time and are giving you the statement that whatever this set of circumstances is, that's still there to this day, the day that I am writing my part of this thing. And so we see that God works, it says, in sundry times. God takes separate times and gives us packages of his information. Now, just a second. I'm going to... One of these days we'll figure this thing out. But God did not give us the whole Bible all at one time. Could you imagine how confused Adam might have been trying to figure out where the promised land was. Because you read the description of the, of the uh, Garden of Eden, and, and if we understand a few of those things right, uh, the entire continent of Africa was turned around somehow, and the Nile River was flowing in the opposite direction that it is today. Uh, it, was, uh, uh, it was very, very, I mean, different than it is. And, and as we look at this, God gave us the revelation that we need. Now, you'll hear different preachers talk about these things sometimes, and, and you have to be really careful. We believe in dispensationalism. We believe that God ran history in separate units. Uh, if you want the Greek word, it's ekoinomia, where we get our economy from. Uh, the word economy, it's, 
It's a operating system in the Garden of Eden. Very simple. What was it? Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Dress and keep the garden. When, when Adam saw his wife Eve, he said, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and cleave unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Boy, that'd solve a lot of political problems today, wouldn't it? Massachusetts Supreme Court can't figure things out, but uh, God already did a long time ago. All you got to do is just quote that one verse and you can solve all kinds of problems. Amen? But that's all Adam and Eve knew. Then came sin into the world. Sacrifice. You know one thing they learned, Adam and Eve learned when God, when they sinned against God? God judges sin. They learned that God judges sin. They knew that there was something different in them the day after that there was at that moment. There was a fear where before they only wanted oneness and communication with God. It's funny how man it says the voice of the Lord came of the Lord God came walking in the garden in the cool of the evening. And he couldn't find Adam. Now did God know where they were? Oh, absolutely. He said, Where are you? Well, God, we're naked, and so we couldn't come out and see you like this. And God said, Who told you that? Have you eaten of the tree? What was Adam's first words? God, the woman you gave me, she's the one that did it. God now goes to the woman. She says, well, God, that snake, he tricked me. So God starts at the snake and judges the snake, start, comes back to the woman and judges the woman, and then comes back and judges the man. God judges sin. Cain murders Abel. What does Cain say? Same thing every criminal has ever said since the foundation of the word, world. My punishment is greater than I can bear. Well, maybe you ought to have thought that before you murdered your brother. And we go through here, and it says, God, who at sundry times and in divers manners... Now, in modern English, we do not use the word divers the same way it is in your King James Bible. Uh, the modern spelling and usage of that word would be diverse. Uh, it would mean many faceted. It would mean different ways. I mean, aren't you glad God doesn't do everything exactly the same way, exactly the same time, just over and over and over again? Uh, God uses different things. Now, I just looked through here and listed a few of them. We've already talked about in the Garden of Eden, it was the voice of the Lord God that walked in the garden. Now, I don't know how a voice walks, but that's what the Bible said, and so that's what I believe. Amen? Uh, but uh, in Exodus chapter 19, when he gave the law to the children of Israel, how many remember the story of Mount Sinai? 
where the children of Israel were told to take a bath and to prepare three days. And on the morning of the third day, Moses gets the congregation of the children of Israel and leads them to a corner of this mountain. Now remember, this was a mountain. There were somewhere around two, two and a half million children of Israel lined up there in this plain in the desert. And this cloud of black smoke descends out of heaven and sits on top of the mountain. And it looks like the whole top of the mountain has caught on fire. And thunderings and lightnings are shooting out of that cloud and it just... Uh, black smoke and all of this and it says the trumpet began to sound and it began to get louder and louder and louder and you could just if you could just imagine the intensity of that noise as it began to fill everything and then it began to get painful as it just kept getting louder and everything began to quake and you couldn't see straight and all of a sudden, Moses speaks to that trumpet. And a voice comes out of that cloud. And it says, Thou shalt not have any other gods before me. And goes down through those Ten Commandments. And those children of Israel are so afraid, as well they should be, that they go to Moses and they say, Moses, we can't bear to hear that, that voice anymore. You go get God's Word and bring it to us and we'll listen to you. You know what God said about that? He said, that's a good thing. He said, that is a good thing that you have enough reverence and respect for God that you're afraid to hear me, this is God speaking, afraid to hear me speak unto you as I did today. I'll speak to your prophet and your prophet will speak to you. But before the prophet Moses came down off Mount Sinai with God's revelation, what had the children of Israel already done? They had made a golden calf and they were dancing and committing immorality and worshiping something made with their own hands. And when Moses comes and looks at Aaron and says, What in the world have you done? He said, Well, we threw all the gold in the fire and this calf came out. Now, that wouldn't work in the Montoro household. Amen? I, I go around, Who made this mess? And, and you know who the most famous person that makes mess in our household is? Nobody. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. Get so much accomplished. I wish I could find out who he is. You know, I ask him, who did that? I didn't do it. Well, man, if I could only find that guy, I didn't do it. I'd solve a lot of problems, wouldn't you? But that's not the way it works, is it? Somebody did it. God is looking at us. And all God wants is for us 
to not only listen with our ears, but listen with our heart. And what's the hardest thing in the world to do? Not do what I want to do and do what God wants me to do. Isn't that the hardest thing in the world to accomplish? I mean, the hardest thing in the world is to get me out of the way so I can be obedient to God. You would think that they were so scared to death by what they saw that they didn't want to hear that voice anymore that they would have sat in their tents scared to death, quivering and shaking and praying until Moses came down 40 days later, but they didn't. 40 days later, they said, we don't know where Moses is. He's gone. He's not coming back. And where had he gone? He went to get the word of God. God sent his prophets. I remember the story of David and Bathsheba. God sent Naaman over. Stood in the gate of the city of Jerusalem and told David the story of the man who stole, the rich man who had all these flocks of sheep, who stole the neighbor's pet and killed the neighbor's dear little lovely lamb so that he could feed a stranger passing through. And David's anger was kindled and he said, that man's going to die because he had no mercy. And what did Nathan do? Stuck his finger in David's face and says, you're the man. You stole Uriah's wife. And you killed him with the sword of Ammon. He said, but God put away your sin. You're not going to die. But four of David's sons died before it was all over. The illegitimate child that was born died. Absalom murdered Amnon, his oldest brother. Absalom died in rebellion against the king. And after David was dead and in his grave, as Solomon sat on the throne, Adonijah began to think of himself and some of the things that he wanted, and he wanted one of King David's wives, which uh, David had never really married her, that in itself, but she had been the wife of the king. It was rebellion against Solomon as a king, and Solomon put Adonijah to death. Now David lost four sons. God's judgment is always there. We could take time tonight to talk about visions. God used visions. But he's not going to use them anymore, amen? I mean, I, I remembered what it was. I used to say a great recipe for visions was hamburger, anchovy, mushroom pizza with a vanilla shake. That'll work. But I found something works even better. You go down here to the Golden Dragon and get house lo mein. It's got shrimp and beef and roast pork and, I mean, and just eat it right before you go to bed and lay down and you'll see things in your head that you didn't know you were capable of dreaming about. Let me tell you. Uh, I mean, it worked for me the other night. I'll tell you, I mean, it was like, 
whoo, where'd all that stuff? I mean, I believe dreams is your brain taking out the trash, but I mean, we were digging in the bin and scraping the floors. I mean, stuff was coming out that I hadn't thought about in 25 years, but uh, I'll tell you, if you want visions, that'll work, but it's not from God, amen? It's that shrimp and the roast pork fighting each other on their way out, I guess. But uh, I'll tell you, you know, we look at this and we have people. How many, has anybody here ever heard of Ernest Angeli other than me mentioning him from the pulpit? He's a, he's a fake healer out in uh, Akron, Ohio. Does anybody remember Rex Humbart when he was on the television? The Cathedral for Tomorrow. And uh, anyway, Ernest Angeli bought the Cathedral for Tomorrow and now it's a fake healer place. And, and you can come and pretend to be healed of all your problems. But Ernest Angeli starts out his television program by telling you about a vision that he had as a little child as God elevated him up into the stars and told him that these were all the souls that he, Ernest Angeli, would reach for God. Now, <coughs> get choked up just thinking about the blasphemy in that one. It is absurd. Again, what does this vision do? It makes Ernest Angeli awful special. It doesn't do anything for God, amen? I mean, the God would pick a, uh, I call him the preaching marshmallow because he always wears a white taffeta suit and he's just about as wide as he is tall and he just looks like a mar talking marshmallow on the television. At least he used to. I mean, I haven't watched Ernest Angel in 25 years. But you look at the visions in the Bible. And one thing you'll be impressed every time God gave a vision, it spoke of the greatness of God. It spoke of the power of God. It spoke of God's control of events. You look at, the, I got the Ezekiel chapters 40 through 48 in your Bible. You read through those visions uh, that Ezekiel was having there. And there has not been any temple ever built like that in the history of mankind, yet it's going to be built one day. And God let Ezekiel see into the future and see that temple. Dreams. There's dreams all through the Bible. God uses dreams. He used dreams to take Joseph out of the dungeon and put him in charge of the land of Egypt, didn't he? God used dreams to tell Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful king on the face of the earth, that the entire scope of history, in fact, that dream was so absolutely accurate that modern-day scholars refused to believe that it was a dream and that it was prophecy, but believed that somebody sat down and wrote out that dream historically and pretended it's history. Because it starts with Nebuchadnezzar. Now, you read in the history books, and historians all love to play down the Babylonian Empire. They like to say, well, it was a fairly insignificant empire sandwiched between the great Persian Empire and the Assyrians before then. But if you really stop and think about it, how many of you have ever heard of the Zodiac? the 12 signs, all that kind of, 
It's Babylon. You know what they have in uh, the British Museum? They excavated the Ishtar Gate of the city of Babylon and took it back to the British Museum and rebuilt it there because it was so fabulous when they found it. They say the city of Babylon had a four-lane highway on top of the city walls. They could take four chariots and ride them together the whole way around the city of Babylon. Those walls were so thick that there was absolutely no way to get through them. The city of Babylon was the one of the wonders of the ancient world. How many of you have ever heard of the Hanging Gardens of Babylon? Nebuchadnezzar had married a princess that came from the mountains. Now, Babylon is still nothing but a big flat sand dune. So Nebuchadnezzar built inside the city limits of Babylon a mountain and gardens all hanging in tears that reminded his princess wife of her homeland so she wouldn't feel so lonely for the mountains. He built one inside the city for her. They had hot and cold running water. The Euphrates River ran down the center of the city of Babylon. It was the golden head of Daniel's vision, of, of Nebuchadnezzar's vision. And, I mean, that vision goes through the different empires and explains that Nebuchadnezzar was a Babylonian. After him came the Persian, then came the Greek, then came the Roman. And his coming is a conglomeration of ten kings. It's iron and clay mixed. Now, you can't mix iron and clay. But, boy, that surely describes a lot of these things we call federations, like the European Union, and all these different... Maybe it is a European Union. Who knows? But that coming kingdom is the one that's going to be destroyed by the stone that was cut out of the mountain without hands. And that was the vision. That was the dream, actually, that Nebuchadnezzar had. God sent angels. How many of you remember the story of Samson? The angel appeared to Samson's mother and said, this is what you're going to do. And Samson's father, Manoah, said, uh, went and, and prayed and said, send us the man that talked to my wife. And, and, and the angel came back and told them uh, what they were supposed to do. And as they offered a sacrifice, it says he arose, ascended in the flame of the sacrifice. And old Manoah, being so full of faith, said, we're going to die. We've seen God. And his wife said, well, if God promised us a child, why would he kill us? That's what faith is, amen? That's what obedience is. And we look at all of these different times. God has preserved in this book his revelation. You need nothing else. If we could just handle what's already written down, we'd be in really good shape, wouldn't we? Now, this book called the Bible, Moses began to write it 
about 1,800 years before Christ. It was finished somewhere around 100 A.D. So you put all that together again, it's, it's somewhere around 1,900 years that this Bible took to put together. Now, I've had a lot of people ask different questions like, you know, how do we know that the books are in the Bible or the ones that are in the Bible? And what about all these other books that are out there? And Well, it's very simple. These were the books that were used by the church. In fact, if you pick up a Hebrew Tanakh today, the Hebrew Bible, the, the Bible of the Orthodox uh, Jewish faith, you'll find out that it has exactly the same set of books that your King James Bible has in it. Oh, they're, yes, they're put in a different order. And Hebrew reads from uh, right to left instead of from left to right. And so when you open up a Hebrew Bible, you start back here is page one. And this is the last page. It's exactly the opposite of the way our books are. But it's exactly the same books. I've read articles of the 120,000 some odd changes in the King James Bible since it was originally translated in 1611. Well, there's a fellow, and uh, I'll give you his address if you want it afterwards. You can order the book. He got a facsimile copy of a 1611 Bible. Nelson puts it out. They took a 1611 Bible, first edition, one that was printed in the year 1611, and took a picture of every page. And then they printed in a little Bible like this because if you look in my office, I have one page, Philippians chapter 3, was actually printed in the year 1611, first edition Bible page. And uh, a whole complete Bible is worth about two and a half million dollars. So it's uh, not something that you just want to carry around with you anywhere you go. But he took that facsimile copy and read through it word for word while he played a tape recording of Alexander Scorby reading your entire King James Bible, and he recorded all of the changes. And his answer simply was this. Not, I, I think it all came down to like 10 or 15 words. And not one of them changed the meaning. There were lots of spelling er changes that were made. There were printer's errors that were corrected. There was uh, type typeset errors that were made. I mean, there's all kinds of things like that. But your Bible has not been changed. It's the same book. And in time past, God spoke to his people by the prophets. They came and they spoke. We have their prophecies. But in these last days, we have the greatest privilege of any group of people living on the face of the earth. We have the story of God's direct revelation by He Himself descending here and taking on human flesh and walking among us. What greater revelation could we have than
and that the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Grace, undeserved favor. Truth, Jesus said what? I am the truth, the way, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So as we look at these verses tonight, Hebrews chapter 1, we find that God has given us His Word, not always the same way, but in these last days, He has spoken unto us by His Son. Now, what's going to happen, and we're not going to have time to get into this tonight, so we're going to uh, stop right here. It then gives us a description of the Son. The writer of Hebrews here is saying, Now God has spoken unto us by His Son. Now I want to tell you about the Son. And that's what the rest uh, of chapter 1 is all about. And I mean, there are some things in here that are just absolutely devastating to other theological systems. Uh, there, one thing people love to do today is play down or deny the deity of Jesus Christ, that Jesus actually was God the Son. And uh, there, there's, you read chapter 1, there's just absolutely no way you can, by the time you get to the end of the chapter, that you can agree to anything except the fact that Jesus and God the Father are one and the same God. Otherwise, you have to change the definition of words. And I don't want to run too far ahead of us here, but, I mean, we look at this thing, it says, "...whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds." Now, people like to take that verse in Revelation that says that Jesus is the beginning of the creation of God and say, see there, He was the beginning of the creation of God. He was the first thing God created. Wrong. Just read the book of Hebrews. It says right here, that verse we read, by whom He made the worlds. God made the worlds through Jesus Christ. That's why He's the beginning of the creation of God because creation began in Jesus Christ. And that's where the answer is to those that would criticize the Bible. You've got to keep the Scripture in context. This, this book of Hebrews takes all of these things all through the Bible. This is one of the reasons why I wholeheartedly and completely reject Protestant theology. Because Protestant theology denies the fact that God, who at sundry times in diverse manners, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. They want to divide the Bible up into a covenant of grace and a covenant of law. No. God spoke many different ways, in many different paths, in many different times. God's revelation has always been with us and I started to explain this a few minutes ago, never got there, but we'll, we'll just finish with this. 
salvation has always been the same way. Grace, that's unmerited favor. That's the fact that God gives us his revelation. Faith, that's believing God's revelation to the point of obedience. When Abel brought his sacrifice, what was he doing? Grace, God said, bring me a bloody sacrifice. The innocent lamb to represent the innocent paying the price for your sins. Faith, he did it. Cain, he said, I'm not going to get my hands bloody. I'll bring the best that I have done. God said, not going to accept it. The best that you've done isn't good enough. And so now we have the workers of evil, Cain, trying to eradicate the servant of Jesus Christ because his faith was a testimony to Cain's disobedience. You wonder why the world gets crazy when somebody stands by and holds up a Bible and said, this is God's word. It's because they cannot stand the testimony of God's truth. It convicts them of their wickedness. You see, the homosexual community is not satisfied with being allowed to exist because as long as people like us are around to hold up the Bible and say this is what God says, it's an abomination, they go crazy. They can't handle that because in their own hearts they know what they're doing is evil. And by the way, we don't run around beating people over the head with the Bible, amen? It doesn't accomplish anything. What we do is we give God's truth to the world in which we live. Just like somebody gave it to you. You accepted it by faith. You obeyed it. And that's where salvation is. All God's people said, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We just ask that you would be with us as we begin the study of the book of Hebrews. That we'll study and learn and be encouraged in it. Lord, help us to be faithful. Help us to love thy word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's just stand together for a moment. Just have Julia play uh, a verse of him. And if you need to come and pray, we'll just bow our heads and take just a moment. And if you need to come, now is the time to just step out and come and pray. If not, we'll be finished.
All God's people said, Amen. Let's take your hymn books. Stand with me if you would. 705 if you need the words. Let's take the name of Jesus with us as we leave tonight. Take the name of Jesus with you, child of sorrow and of woe. It will joy and comfort give you. Take it then where you go. Precious name, oh how sweet. Hope of earth and joy of heaven. Precious name, oh how sweet. Hope of earth and joy of heaven. Thank you for being with us tonight.